I love watching historical movies when we know the end. For instance, as much as I love the movie Titanic, you mean you may sit in there, you may sit there and watch it, biting your nails, like I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I can tell you, it's going to sink in the end. It's not going to end well for those people. I, I like World War II movies because these are the true great movies. Because when you when you watch the movie, it looks really bad. I mean, the plot looks awful. You think these guys are going to lose. But we know the end, don't we? They win. As dark as it looks for the middle of the war, as dark as the battles look, we know the end because it is history. And sometimes when we watch movies, we wish that the characters knew the end, right? You watch a movie, you know that the Titanic is going to sink. You know what's going to happen at the end of the war. But you wish the characters knew because they would do things a little differently if they knew the end. That's kind of like what's going on here in chapter 4 of the book of Acts. God has sent out His people. Christ has sent out His people to be a witness for Him. And as soon as they do that, persecution starts. As soon as they do that, they realize that they are facing opposition. They are facing opposition. But what gets them through that? They know the end of the story. In the text we're going to read this morning, you're going to see them quote a psalm. You're going to see them quote Scripture saying, this is what we're expecting, and they know the end of the psalm, that one day God wins. And the main thing that we're going to see for us, just like for them, they're asking for boldness because they know how the story ends. God will give us boldness to live on His mission. As we get ready to go back to school, it's back to school Sunday. As we get ready to go back to school, as we get ready teachers to go back to work, as we get back into the routine of our lives, we need to be like this church asking for boldness so that we can live on mission. Join with me as we read chapter 4, starting in verse 13. And if you would please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. This is what God says. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, how would you like that to be said about you? They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had just healed a man, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them that is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let's warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them, and charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whatever is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For, listen to this, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign was, uh, of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. 
When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices to God together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed or His Christ. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And watch this. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Father in heaven, as we come to your Word, and as we see that even 2,000 years ago, that the Gospel was marching forward in the midst of opposition, That your people were passionate about the mission. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit and they boldly spoke the Gospel. God, would you give us that boldness this morning? Our world does not need a church that is doing business as usual. Our world needs a church. Our community needs a church that is boldly on the mission. A church that says we have been so transformed by Christ, we can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard. So God, I pray this morning that the Gospel would be so precious to us. That what You've done for us would be so precious and that we would see it's the only hope and that You would give us this boldness. That if there's somebody in here today and they are feeling knocked out and they're feeling like, I just can't do this, I can't be a witness, I can't live on the mission, Lord, would You give them boldness this morning? Would You give them power from on high? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. The first thing that we we see in this passage is persecution. This morning we're going to look at the three P's. We're going to see persecution, then we're going to see prayer, then we're going to see power. The first thing that we see here is persecution. But where did this come from? What's going on? We're picking up in the middle of chapter 4. We need to understand what's already happening in this story. First of all, Peter healed a lame man. He was crippled. He couldn't walk. Peter came up to him at the beginning of chapter 3. And the very famous, you know, silver and gold have I none. We can relate to that, can't we? Silver and gold have I none. He heals him. And something happens. People see it. Okay, it's one thing that he healed the guy, but then when everybody saw it, and they're like, wait, isn't this, the, isn't this the dude that was sitting over there and couldn't walk? All of a sudden, they started to take notice. It says they were filled with, with amazement. And so Peter does not let this, this uh, opportunity pass by, but what does he do? He speaks. He speaks. So he sees all the people staring in amazement. He speaks to the people. He seizes the opportunity to share the truth about Jesus with them. 
And then after he starts speaking, it just all goes downhill from there. The Jewish leaders didn't like that. They wanted to silence them. But they knew that all these people had seen what had happened. All these people had heard him talk about Jesus. And so they did. They, they kind of snuck up from behind and they arrested him. They arrested Peter for speaking of this and they asked him a question. Please stop doing this. Will you please stop doing this? Will you please stop speaking like this? They detained him so that they could make him stop. That's persecution. That's opposition. And notice where we pick up in the text that we read, starting in verse 13. The rulers did not expect an uneducated man to speak like that. Notice it says he's uneducated. He's common. Look at verse 13 where it says that. It says, now the, the, these guys, you wouldn't think that they would be speaking this boldly. They perceived they were uneducated common men. He wasn't saying they were stupid. He was just saying these guys were not the ones who were trained in rhetoric. These aren't the ones that you would picture that would be out there and, and boldly sharing the things that they were sharing. Why could they do that? Why was Peter so bold in doing that? Why was John so bold to stand with him and do that? Look at what it says next. They were astonished and they recognized what? That they had been with Jesus. Friends, these men did not have a head knowledge, but they had been with the Lord. They knew Jesus. They saw firsthand what had happened to Jesus. How He was crucified. How He was victoriously raised from the dead. How forgiveness was proclaimed in His name. They had saw right before how 3,000 people had come to know this Jesus. They had been with Jesus. But the second thing that I think the reason they're speaking so boldly is because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't explicitly say this, but we see it all throughout the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit fills His people and they speak boldly. They had been with Jesus. They were filled with the Spirit of Jesus empowering them. And so they're speaking boldly and when they arrest them and they say, look, we don't want you to, to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. We don't want you to talk about Jesus anymore. We don't want you to be a witness for Him anymore. What do they say? Say, well, you judge what's right for you, but as for us, look at what He says in the following verses. We cannot help but to talk about, in verse 20, what we have seen and heard. We can't help but talk about it. It's as if a fire had been lit in their bones. And they could not help but let that fire come out. And so the question I have for us, is the Gospel so real to us? Is our relationship and our walk with Jesus so real to us that it's like a fire in our bones that we must share it? Is it like a fire in our bones that we, it's not possible for us to sit and be silent? That's what we see happening here. That they must share because of what they have seen. I mean, think about the Gospel. Think about what God has done. How He's rescued us from our sin. He's rescued us from our, our, our idolatry. How did He do it? He sent His Son who was perfectly righteous, perfectly blameless to be 
killed in the worst manner possible. Catch this though, come in real close, on our behalf. For us. As a substitute. So that you and I wouldn't have to face the penalty that we rightfully deserve because of our sin. He put that on Jesus and we can be forgiven and we can be cleansed. And He doesn't stop there. He continues, even though He meets us where we are, He transforms us. He changes us into the image of Christ. He makes us more holy and makes us more righteous. And then one day, we know a day is coming when this work of salvation is going to be made complete and we will be freed not just from the, the effects of sin, we're going to be freed from its presence. We're going to be freed completely from evil and we are going to live in a perfect relationship with God like it was intended. When you think about the glories of the Gospel, how can you help but not share those? When you realize who you are in this Jesus, how do you not share that? How can we possibly do business as usual as a church and shut that in? How can we not put our preferences aside and strive for the mission and keep that shut in? And as we look at such a glorious gospel, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we're glad that you're here because this is what we hold out to you. We don't hold out to you, hey, you need to do better. Hey, you need to clean up your life. Hey, you need to, you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We don't hold that out to you at all. The central message that we proclaim is that, yes, we are all unrighteous. We are far worse sinners than we ever could have imagined, but through the gospel, through what Christ did on the cross, God is more infinitely gracious to us than we could have ever dreamed. And this morning, if that is you, and you'd say, I've never trusted that, this morning can be the time that you can come and trust that for the first time. This morning is the morning that you can be set free. The second thing that we see is prayer. As they are released and they go back, they tell the church, they tell the other believers what's going on and what do they do? They pray. What do they do? They pray. And I want you to see how they start their prayer. Because we can see a lot about their heart. We can see a lot about what's going on as we look at what they say in response to the persecution that they face. The first thing is that their prayer acknowledged that this persecution was allowed by God. Notice how they start their prayer in the next verses. Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. Towards the end of their prayer, they, they mentioned uh, in verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. These guys realized something. They realized that our God is in control. And listen to this. Whatever happens, they know had to pass through the hand of God. That's something that you, you should write down. Whatever happens to us, we know that it has to pass through the hands of our sovereign good God. So they know that in the midst of the persecution, this is part of the plan. It's not as if God had forsaken them. No, this was part of God's plan. And notice they quote Psalm 2 about what's going on. 
they look back at Psalm 2 and, and notice they start quoting it. Why do the Gentiles or the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. He's, they're saying, hey, what happened to Jesus and then what by extension is happening to us, God told us in the Scriptures this is going to happen. They know that God is sovereign. They know that God had already, had already said this is what's going to happen. And so listen, church, as we face persecution, as we face opposition, students, as you go back to school and you, you find that as you're sharing the gospel, people think you're weird. As you stand for Christ, people think you're some crazy person. Or maybe you face even more intense opposition and more intense persecution than that. Know that whatever happens to us, take heart that it is all in the plan that God has. It's all in the plan, but I want to point out something that's not in their prayer. Notice as they're quoting Psalm 2, they just stop right where they do. What's interesting about Psalm 2 is it talks about the, the nations rebelling against God and against His Christ. But Psalm 2 does not end that way. Psalm 2 ends with God's triumphant, victorious victory. In other words, the people are quoting this knowing the end of the story. Do you see it? They're quoting this knowing that in the end, God wins. They may face opposition to the Gospel, but they know that in the end, the Gospel will triumph. They know that in the end, our God will come back and He will reign. And so, we also know the end. Just like they do. How do we know that we're going to be persecuted when we share the gospel? We like to think, oh, that, that's not going to happen. We're not going to face opposition. Everybody here, you know, they, they, they're welcoming of this. No, they're not. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us so. The Bible tells us so. So what do they do? They prayed for God to take away their opposition. No, that's not what they prayed for, is it? When they knew the end, their prayer changed. It's like when we watch a movie, when we know the end of the story, we wish the characters would do something different. These guys know what's going to happen, and so their prayer is not... I want you to pay close attention to this. Their prayer is not that God would take them out of their circumstance. Church, we don't need God to take us out of our circumstances. Sometimes we think if I just had a different set of realities going through my life, things would be different. If, if God would just take away some of, the, some of the suffering and some of the persecution and some of the things I'm going through, then it would be, no, they don't pray for that, do they? They pray what? They pray for, notice, boldness. They pray that God would give them boldness. They realize that they are in the middle of a war. They realize that this is not just nice, neat, comfortable Christianity, but we are at war. I love war movies, and I love watching how in the heat of battle, what do you see the people, the, the soldiers doing? And this is not just true in movies, but it's true in real life. Our soldiers that are fighting. What would happen if in the heat of battle, a soldier takes his radio out and radios in, I want the fighting to stop. 
What if the soldier just radios in and says, I'm going to run? You don't see that. What does the soldier radio in and say? I need backup. He radios in and says, I need help. And that's what we see the believers doing, church. We see them coming and saying, we're going to radio in for help. We're not praying that we're taken out of the war. We're not praying that our circumstances change. We're praying for help from on high so that we can be bold witnesses through the persecution. And church, I submit to you today that we are advancing against the powers of darkness. When we share the Gospel, when we're reaching out to the lost community around us, it's not just something comfortable. We're reaching out through the powers of darkness. We're going to face opposition. And the church, the the community doesn't need a church that's just going to back down. The Gospel is the only hope that they have. They don't need a church that's going to say, this is too hard. They don't need a church that's going to say, we're just comfortable sitting in our pews on Sunday mornings. They need a church, listen, that is going to rise up. They need a church that is going to get the Gospel to the community. They need a church that is going to be active in serving the community. They need a church that's going to say, we will set aside all of what makes us comfortable, all of our preferences, so that we can join in this mission. Church, we've got to rise up. Because we see them doing that in Acts. They're praying for boldness. And they're rising up. What happens when they prayed? Well, God answered. The final thing we see in the passage is power. It's one thing to say we got to rise up, but it's another thing when God says, I'm going to empower you to rise up. Notice, after they prayed, three things happened. God answers their prayer. First of all, the meeting place was shaken there in verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Now, was that literally shaken? I just I think about these things. Was that place really shaken like an earthquake? Or, or was he speaking metaphorically like it was as if it were shaken? Maybe here's another question. I think the question is really, How could the place not get shaken? I mean, when you pray like that and you pray and say, God, make us bold, how could the place not be shaken? How could the people not be stirred up? How could the people uh, not be empowered? Everything is shaken up. Everything is changed. When was the last time we had a prayer meeting like that? In fact, I wonder what would happen to our church and to our community if we had prayer meetings like that. I wonder what would happen if we started praying like that for our community. They were filled, secondly, with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, Jesus is commissioning His disciples to go, and this is what He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus foretells it happening and then here we see Jesus' words coming true. 
You're going to get power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Well, we see the Holy Spirit coming earlier in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And then here, we see them praying for boldness. And again, you see the Holy Spirit coming and filling them that they could be bold. The Holy Spirit filling them. And so the third thing we see is that they spoke with boldness. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us and give us boldness. How could Stephen stand and speak with such boldness about Christ when he knew that they were going to kill him if he did that? How could Paul boldly proclaim Christ even though he knows what is happening? Like in 2 Corinthians 11 when he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness. This is almost like a rap song. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. Danger, 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 danger in toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. How can the Apostle Paul do this? He was filled with the Holy Spirit and was made bold by Him. How could Paul and Silas boldly proclaim Christ to a jailer when they know that that jailer could throw them right back in jail? How could James, the brother of John, face death because of Christ? How could the apostles all meet violent ends as they proclaim the Gospel throughout the world? It was because they are filled with boldness from on high. You don't have to have it together to be a witness for Jesus. You don't have to be an outgoing person. You need boldness from on high to speak about Him. You need to pray for that boldness. You need to ask for that boldness. What would it look like For you to be like that, it's going to take God's help. It's going to take God's help. In conclusion, to summarize, as our musicians are coming up here, we see persecution. Does our time with Jesus compel us? To tell others even if it means persecution. We see prayer. Pray for opportunities. We need to pray for opportunities. You and I need to do this every day. Pray for opportunities and then boldness to take them. And then finally, we see power. God will supply the boldness that we need. Everything that we need to be equipped, God will supply to us and so as we think about responding to God's word this morning if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian in just a moment we're going to sing and as we sing you'll have an opportunity to take that next step to trust Christ to receive true life as you were intended to live to receive joy but if you're here this morning and you're a Christian I wonder if there's anybody here who would say, Brother, I'm like that. I need boldness from on high. 
Is there anybody here who would just say, you know, I am, I want the gospel to advance of all that God has done for me, but I just need boldness. I need power. I need to be equipped. I want to share my faith, but I need help. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand up right now where you are. Is there anybody in here who would say, I want to be a bold witness and I don't have what it takes and I need help? I want you to know if you just stood up and said that, God has already begun to answer your prayer because you stood. You just stood up, which took boldness. I'm going to spend a, just a brief moment to pray for you guys that have stood. I would ask you to come down and we'd lay hands on you, but I think there wouldn't be many people left to lay the hands on. Let's pray for boldness together. Father, I thank You for these men and women who have just stood up and said, you know, I don't have what it takes to be a bold witness, but Lord, I want You to empower me. Thank You, Lord, for the boldness that You've already given them to acknowledge that. And I pray, Lord, that You would make us bold. That we would be as salt that even for the shyest person here among us who says, I don't, really, I don't really have the words to say, I don't really like to talk to people a lot, Lord, even for that person, give them boldness. Even for that person, give them the power to open and speak about You. Lord, for those of us who are, who are standing right now who would say, you know, I, am, I, I like to talk to people, but I just like to talk to people about everything but the thing that really matters. God, help us to not just give us opportunities, but to help us to take those opportunities. God, help us to be a church that rises up, that sets aside all of our comforts, that sets aside all of our conveniences and our preferences. And Lord, make us into a church a church that You have appointed for such a time as this. A church that You have put in the Mount Carmel community, in the Florine community, so that we could reach them. Help us, Lord. Give us what we need. Don't let us fail. And we know, Lord, that You won't let us fail. We know, Lord, that as we seek You, as we seek the Holy Spirit's empowerment, Lord, that You will do far more abundantly than what we ask for. Lord, we think we want just a few people to come to Jesus. We want to see our church filled. But Lord, you, you are, Your heart is for far more than we even think. We want our town to be saved. And Lord, you're, you're thinking about saving our entire parish. We want our parish to be saved. You're thinking about saving our whole nation. We think about so narrow focus. And Lord, you're trying to save the world. Help us, Lord, to get a vision like you.
Empower us, Lord, that we could have a vision and pursue it. In Jesus' name, amen.